Disney's episode 15, The Little Mermaid 2, Return to the Sea. for Disney fans. Welcome. If you're new, welcome back. If you're coming back. Uh, in the last episode, I talked about the 1989 classic Disney princess movie, The Little Mermaid. And in this episode, I'm following that up with The Little Mermaid 2, Return to the Sea, released in 2000, which was 11 years after the original, after the first one. And I will say right off the bat, I mean, I feel like this is probably a universal opinion. <laughs> this is nowhere near as good as the first one. It's nowhere near as good as The Little Mermaid. But, you know, as far as sequels go, I enjoy it for what it is. There's definitely a charm to it. But I will get into that. I will get into my rating later on. Before I start talking about The Little Mermaid 2, however, I do want to briefly discuss a graphic novel that I just recently finished reading. And it's titled Ariel and the Curse of the Sea Witches. So with it being a tie-in to the Little Mermaid franchise, I thought that it would be appropriate, since I just finished reading it a little while ago, to briefly discuss it here on the podcast. It's actually relatively new. It was just released earlier this year on May 2nd, 2023, of course. And the synopsis, as is on the back of the book, so I took this directly from the back of the book, is... Princess Ariel joins Prince Eric on his trip to the Arctic to oversee the construction of a new port. But when she discovers that the project is endangering the coral reefs and the merfolk who live there, can she convince the team to stop work before the merfolk take matters into their own hands? So I thought that what I would do, uh, just as kind of a method of discussing it on the podcast, is just share my Goodreads review with you. And I will, of course, also in the show notes link you to not only the book, but also this review. So this is my review that I posted on Goodreads for the book. Ariel and the Curse of the Sea Witches is a graphic novel, the story written by Rona Cleary with art by Valentina Brincati. It obviously takes place in the same universe as the animated The Little Mermaid movies and is set in between The Little Mermaid and The Little Mermaid 2 Return to the Sea. I had such a wonderful time reading this book and was honestly surprised by how much I loved it. Both the story and the art are so engaging and cinematic, and I couldn't help but think as I was reading this that it would make such a wonderful movie, even though I feel quite confident that that is never going to happen. The story offers up a wonderful message with environmentalist themes and the importance of people setting aside differences to achieve a common goal. Ariel is written so well, she is so well developed, and she has matured so much in this story since the story of the first animated movie even though she is still very much Ariel in that she is stubborn, headstrong, and does not listen to people when they advise her against taking part in dangerous journeys. I guess that some things never change. Ariel's journal entries and sketches are also interspersed throughout the story, and if I had to complain about anything regarding this book, it's just that her journal entries are sometimes unnecessary. While they do afford a great opportunity to go deeper into Ariel's psyche and see what she is thinking, she also sometimes writes about events that we have already seen, and that can get redundant. Other than that, however, I strongly recommend this book to any fans of The Little Mermaid. 
So as I said, this story takes place before The Little Mermaid 2, Return to the Sea, the movie that I'm going to be talking about in this episode. You know, Melody has not yet been born. So the timing just kind of works out perfectly. But like I said in my review, I really do recommend the book. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Anyway, though, moving on to the movie. So The Little Mermaid 2 was released on September 19th, 2000. I was 10 years old at the time. And to be honest with you, I don't really remember a whole lot about this release. So I don't remember if it went to theaters or if it was a straight-to-video release. I'm thinking it was probably the latter. In fact, now that I think about it, I know that it was. Because Frozen 2 holds the honor of being the first Disney movie without Pixar being involved. So solely Disney. Uh, Frozen 2 is the first Disney animated movie to get a theatrical sequel. So, yeah, I actually do know that it did not get a theatrical release. It went straight to video. Written by Elizabeth Anderson, Temple Matthews, Elise Dehane. I might not be pronouncing that properly. It's D-apostrophe-H-A-E-N-E. And Eddie Guzelian. That's another one that I'm not 100% sure if I'm pronouncing it correctly. And directed by Jim Camerud. For the cast, we have Tara Strong as Melody, Jodie Benson reprising her role as Ariel, Pat Carroll coming back, but this time as Morgana, Rob Paulson as Prince Eric, Kenneth Mars coming back as King Triton, Samuel E. Wright coming back as Sebastian, Cam Clark as Flounder, Buddy Hackett returning as Scuttle, K.E. Cuter as Grimsby, Renee Aubergenois coming back as Chef Louis, Max Casella as Tip, Stephen First as Dash, and Clancy Brown as Undertow. The music is by Danny Trube, and the songs are written by various songwriters. So unlike the first movie, the songwriting is not consistently done by the same people. Brief film synopsis of this movie, a direct-to-video sequel to the 1989 movie The Little Mermaid, and it says right there that it's direct-to-video, so <laughs> I uh, apparently forgot that. Set several years after, Ariel and Eric are now the parents of a young and ambitious girl named Melody. Despite Ariel's attempts to keep her daughter safe from its dangers, Melody feels drawn toward the sea, giving Ursula's sister Morgana an opportunity for revenge. So as usual, before I get into talking about the movie itself and my favorite moments from it and observations that I had while watching it and all that stuff, I have some interesting trivia for you. So I mentioned already that Buddy Hackett comes back in this movie as Scuttle, and this was unfortunately his final film role because he did go on to pass away uh, after this film was released. Tara Strong has said that Melody is one of her favorite characters to have voiced, and by the way... If you're not familiar with Tara Strong, she has done a lot of voice acting. So for her to pinpoint one as being one of her favorites is definitely a big deal. But yeah, she has said that this was one of her favorite characters to voice because she was an avid fan of The Little Mermaid growing up. She would then go on to voice two of Ariel's sisters in The Little Mermaid 3, Ariel's Beginning. Melody is actually the first Disney character to be the child of a Disney princess, thereby also making Ariel the first Disney princess to be a mother. Tip and Dash are inspired by Timon and Pumbaa from The Lion King. And in the final shot of the movie, Cinderella and her prince can be spotted in the crowd surrounding Melody and her family. Interestingly, the Grand Duke and the King can also be seen in the first movie. And then lastly, 
Ahead of the release of the live-action version of The Little Mermaid, Halle Bailey and Jonah Howard King both voiced interest in doing a live-action version of Return to the Sea, as they would love to bring Melody to life. Unfortunately, I don't think that's going to happen. Like, I could see Disney greenlighting a Little Mermaid sequel. They already have, apparently, greenlit an Aladdin sequel. But the Aladdin sequel is not going to be an adaptation of the original, like, the animated Aladdin sequel. You know, The Return of Jafar. It's going to be a completely original story that is not going to follow that movie. So if they do do a Little Mermaid sequel, I just have a feeling that they're probably going to go down the same route, that they're going to make up a story. Mostly because, I don't know, there just kind of seems to be this attitude that the sequels aren't important, that they don't matter. I mean, as much as I love Serena Valentino's villains novels, for example, and I've mentioned them many, many times on the podcast, they completely discard and ignore the sequels. So in Poor Unfortunate Soul, for example, you get Ursula's backstory, you learn about her, and... Morgana is not mentioned. Morgana does not seem to exist. <laughs> and she actually did address that once and said that I don't pay any attention to the sequels. I ignore them. So that does seem to be kind of a common thing. So I have a feeling that if the Little Mermaid live action movie does get a sequel, it will not follow this movie. And as usual, all of this trivia comes from IMDb and Disney Wiki. I will link you to both of those in the show notes. But without further ado, let's talk about this movie. I really love how Melody has little sea creatures on her mobile, uh, one that looks like Flounder, and also one that looks a little bit like Sebastian. This would make perfect sense, right? Because this is before Ariel makes a decision to keep Melody from the sea and keep the sea from Melody, you know, because of Morgana's threat. And so she wants Melody to kind of be a part of both worlds. And in this opening song, which is called Down to the Sea, Eric does sing a little bit in this, which is interesting because he doesn't sing at all in the first movie. The live action version does give him a song, Wild Uncharted Waters, but in the original animated Little Mermaid, Eric does not have a song. In fact, I don't think he sings at all. Maybe he does a little bit in Fathoms Below. I'm not 100% sure on that, but he doesn't have a solo song. And this is not a solo song. It's not just Eric singing this, but he does sing in it. That's the only reason I bring it up. In this opening here, they're basically having a celebration to honor the birth of Melody. And Triton shows up to give Melody a gift. You know, he tries to give her this locket slash music box. But just after he gives her the gift, Morgana interrupts the celebration. And this is very reminiscent of Sleeping Beauty, right? Because in Sleeping Beauty... That's the whole conflict, right? Is that Maleficent shows up at this coronation and, you know, threatens this child, which causes her parents to basically have to do everything that they can to keep her safe, which is very similar here. So I wouldn't be surprised if this was kind of inspired by Sleeping Beauty. We quickly learn that Morgana is Ursula's sister. I will say that it's kind of weird that Ursula never mentions her in the first movie. I mean... In the real world, I'm pretty sure I know why that is, which is that they did not have this movie planned then. You know, it's not like they had Morgana in their back pocket. I highly doubt that. So that's why in the real world, but as far as in-universe is concerned, it does seem a little bit strange that Ursula never would have brought her up, never would have mentioned her. And if, like I said in the last episode, we believe Ursula to be Triton's sister in this universe— 
then that also means that Morgana is Triton's sister as well, unless they're not full-blooded siblings. It is possible that Morgana and Triton are actually not related at all because the three of them didn't all have the same parents. You know what I'm saying? Like Ursula and Triton could have been half siblings and then Ursula and Morgana could have been half siblings. And then there was no link between Triton and Morgana other than Ursula. That is a possibility. Morgana has a green complexion, which is funny because Ursula, of course, has a purple complexion. And green and purple are two colors that are very frequently associated with Disney villains. But speaking of Morgana, like I said, Pat Carroll is back to play a role here, although it's not the same role. She plays Ursula in The Little Mermaid and Morgana here, Ursula's sister. And I do have to credit her because obviously Morgana does sound a little bit like Ursula at times. She would have to, right? Because it's the same person playing the voice. But there's enough of a difference for you to believe that it's not the same person. It's just totally believable that this is her sister, but it's not the same person. She offers up a little bit of nuance. You know, there's a little bit of difference in the way that she plays Morgana as opposed to the way that she played uh, Ursula. So I definitely have to tip my hat to her. They do manage to temporarily stop Morgana. Morgana's plan is I'm going to feed Melody to my shark, Undertow, unless you give me the trident. And she doesn't succeed. They do manage to stop her. But she is, of course, now still a threat. But Ariel says that, you know, I'm going to have to keep her ancestry a secret from her, which means that she can't know about you, Daddy. And so there's a very sad scene here where, you know, Triton parts ways, knowing that there's a possibility that he's never going to see Melody again, or Ariel for that matter. And he tells Sebastian that you will keep an eye on her. You will watch over her. And I love Sebastian's reaction here because you can tell that he's thinking, why do I always get stuck with the babysitting gig? <laughs> I mean, he even like not too long after that even says something similar to that effect that, you know, a crab at my age should be retired. You know, uh, I shouldn't be watching teenagers, you know, so uh, he definitely does recognize that I always end up stuck with this gig. <laughs> Uh, but Triton ditches the locket, and I'm not quite sure why. I mean, my guess is that, like I said, he might be thinking that there's a likelihood that I'm never going to see her again, that I'm never going to see Ariel again, I'm never going to see Melody again. Melody obviously can't take the locket, because then that'll tell her who she really is, and so I'm just going to dispose of it, you know? And I think that the reason that he does that is, again, he feels heartbroken, and is struggling, wrestling with the possibility that he's never going to see her again. But I still feel like that was kind of stupid because you've defeated Ursula before. So have a little bit of faith, have a little bit of hope, you know, that there's a strong possibility that you're going to have the chance to give this to her someday. But we then flash forward 12 years into the future, and we know that it's 12 years because it's Melody's 12th birthday. And the castle is now surrounded by a barricade to keep Melody away from the water and vice versa. And I want to say that this is maybe the second or third time that I've seen this movie. I definitely have not seen it as many times as I've seen the first movie. Nowhere near. Uh, but one thing that I noticed on this watch that I don't think I did notice before 
is that there's a parallel here at the beginning of this movie to the beginning of the first movie because there is a celebration or ceremony being planned here and Melody is nowhere to be found. (laughs) It's her birthday party and she can't be found. Why? Because she forgot about the party and she's exploring the sea, which she's not supposed to be doing. So at the beginning of The Little Mermaid, the first movie, you know, there's that concert and Ariel doesn't show up to it because she forgot about it and she's off exploring a shipwreck, which she's not supposed to be doing. And we see her collecting things from the sea, such as seashells. And this is, of course, yet another parallel because Ariel was collecting human things and she finds the locket. But I will say for a human, she seems to be able to hold her breath for a ridiculously long time. I mean, it seems like she's under there exploring swimming for a very, very long time. And I don't know, maybe she did, uh, you know, get up and get some air off screen at times that we didn't see it. But I don't know. We very shortly after that find out that Morgana has been hiding in the Arctic. And this is an interesting parallel to the previously discussed book that I mentioned. And it's a completely coincidental parallel. The entirety of that book takes place in the Arctic. But one thing that I will say here, and I don't know, it could be because she's in a sequel. I think that's probably the biggest reason. But it could also be because she's frequently maybe dismissed as just a carbon copy of Ursula, which I don't think she is at all. I already mentioned how Pat Carroll does a very great job of playing two different distinct characters but still having some similarities to show that they're sisters. Like, I think she does a really great job of that. But there very well could be some people who feel that she's just a ripoff of Ursula. But the point that I'm trying to make is that I really feel like she's underappreciated. And interestingly, I think that we learn more about Morgana in this movie than we learn about Ursula in the first movie. And for that reason, I think that she might even be a little bit more sympathetic because We do learn that she apparently feels like she has always been living in Ursula's shadow. You know, that their mother favored Ursula over her. And I think that that does explain a lot of her actions, you know, and I'm not justifying her actions. I am not. Because as I'm going to discuss later on, I think that Morgana is probably more evil than Ursula. Another reason why I think that she's underappreciated. So I'm not justifying her actions. I'm just saying that I do somewhat understand the motivations because she wants to outshine her sister. She wants to do more than her sister was capable of doing because her mother kind of stuck it in her head from a young age that you will never be as good as your sister is. You will never live up to your sister's potential. And I do think that, you know, that does offer up some room for sympathy and understanding from the viewer, more so than I think we got from Ursula. Because, like I mentioned in the last episode, in that movie, we learn very, very little about Ursula. Like I said, she doesn't even mention that she has a sister. Another really neat parallel between Melody and Ariel is that Melody says, how could there be anything wrong with something so wonderful? You know, and that is definitely meant to echo Ariel's line from the first movie. I just don't see how a world that makes such wonderful things could be bad. You know, so that's definitely a parallel. And Sebastian even says, you remind me so much of your mother. (laughs) So, yeah, they definitely are deliberately 
you know, drawing parallels between these two. But Melody also reminds me a lot of Belle from Beauty and the Beast because she feels like an outcast. You know, she feels like she doesn't fit in and people think that she is strange. You know, they kind of talk behind her back and feel that she's odd, you know, that she's strange. And I think Belle feels similarly. And that is especially hammered home in the live action remake. And the room where Melody's party is held also reminds me a lot of Beauty and the Beast. But I feel so sorry for Melody because uh, she is relentlessly and viciously bullied. There is an incident in which Sebastian inadvertently causes an accident during a dance after a boy asks Melody to dance with him. And she asks Sebastian if he is okay. And a lot of kids her age just start roaring with laughter because she's talking to a crab. But Chef Louis then becomes aware of Sebastian's presence at the party and once again goes full madman mode trying to kill this crab. It's just absolutely ridiculous. You know, I'm honestly surprised that Ariel didn't have a talk with him after she became the princess or the queen at this point, I would assume. I don't know. That's a little unclear. <laughs> I would assume that she's queen now. But, uh, you know, you would think that she would have had a talk with him. Like, listen, I used to be a mermaid. I was friends with fish. I was friends with crabs. We're not eating them anymore. <laughs> you know? But apparently not. But as I mentioned earlier, Melody does find the locket. And she expresses that the music that it plays, because it's also a music box, sounds familiar to her. And that was a little strange to me because I would assume that she hasn't heard it since she was a baby. So how would she remember that? <laughs> you know, because I suppose it's possible that maybe Ariel continued to sing her that melody at night as a lullaby or something, but it just seems unlikely to me because... Ariel seemed to go, like, all the way when it came to keeping this for Melody, you know? So it seems like she wouldn't have done that, but maybe. But after the bullying incident, you know, she has a talk, Melody, that is, has a talk with Ariel. And Ariel, because of the locket, finds out that Melody has been to the ocean. And she's very angry. She's very upset. And Melody says about Ariel and the sea because Ariel tells her like the sea is very very dangerous it's not safe for you and Melody says how would you know you've never even been in it and of course this is meant to be ironic because little does she know that she <laughs> very much has been in it she used to live in it and when Morgana finds out that Melody feels drawn toward the sea and that she has found the locket she says this is delicious this is divine and I mentioned in the last episode how Ursula also uses the word divine and it's very likely intentional because Ursula was inspired by a drag performer named divine. So this could very well be another nod to that. And another thing that I will give Morgana over Ursula is that I think that she does a much better job pretending to be kind, you know, like manipulating Melody. It's a little bit more believable that Melody would believe that Morgana's intentions are good. You know, and I mentioned in the last episode how it doesn't really make sense that Ariel falls for this because Ursula so clearly has a sinister plan. I mean, she even out loud expresses that she does because she says to Flotsam and Jetsam right in Ariel's presence and not in a whisper, you know, that I've got her boys. So 
it was kind of ridiculous that Ariel didn't see through that. Melody, however, it's definitely a little bit more believable because, like I said, I think Morgana does a much better job of pretending to be kind. I mean, Morgana even says, you're not the only one whose mother doesn't understand you. I know exactly how you feel. And I mean, yes, she's being manipulative here. Yes, she's using her and she has bad intentions. But that's also probably true. But we find out that Morgana has been saving a little bit of Ursula's magic. So she uses that to change Melody into a mermaid. That's also some irony that I appreciate, is that in The Little Mermaid, Ariel starts off as a mermaid, but she wants to be human. And in the sequel, Melody starts off as a human, but she wants to be a mermaid. Ariel then decides to join Triton to search for Melody, and she therefore becomes a mermaid again. And she and Melody sing this song for a moment, but it's one of those weird situations where they're not singing it together consciously you know like they're not physically together in the same location because of course ariel's searching for her melody's missing right but they are like even though they're in different locations they're still singing the song together so if you've seen a lot of musicals you probably know exactly what i'm talking about obviously if you've seen this movie you know what i'm talking about but that is something that happens in musicals a lot is that characters even though they're in two different locations they're nowhere near each other they're singing a song together. And Ariel in this song is basically lamenting that she didn't tell Melody the truth. She now wishes that she had told her sooner. Which is another interesting parallel to the first movie, because when Ariel goes missing in the first movie, Triton kind of blames himself, right? He says, what have I done? And I do love how multiple times throughout the movie, Atlantica is referred to as a fishtail. <laughs> you know, like that's funny for more than one reason. One is that Obviously, it's a pun, you know, uh, because fish tail, so it's meant to be T-A-L-E, like story, but you could also hear that as like the tail of a fish, you know, like T-A-I-L. So it's a pun, but also fish tail is a real term that people use to refer to like a legend, you know, like a wives tale, an old wives tale. Uh, something that doesn't actually exist. It's kind of just become a legend. But also, it is literally a fish tale. It's a story about fish and people that live in the water. <laughs> so I just love the irony of it being referred to that way. And yeah, you can definitely, definitely see how Tip and Dash were inspired by Timon and Pumbaa. I even watched this movie on my rewatch very recently. I watched it with my best friend, and even she said, yeah, you can totally tell that they're <laughs> inspired by... Timon and Pumbaa. But I love Tip and Dash's reaction to Melody because, you know, she tells them, I need your help because I need to get to Atlantica and I don't know where it is. And if I don't do this, then I'm going to turn back into a human. And they're kind of like horrified by that. Like, oh no, no, we don't want that. We'll help, you know? <laughs> and yeah, I kind of get it. <laughs> we do kind of suck sometimes. So I get it. Uh, but Melody finds Triton, watches him, and the plan, of course, is she's going to steal the trident from him and bring it to Morgana, because Morgana has convinced her that the trident is rightfully hers, and that Triton is a thief, that he stole it from her. So there's some more irony here, because Melody is looking at this man, thinking that he's an enemy, when in reality, that's her grandfather, and he's looking for her. But one thing that I really don't understand is how is Melody going back and forth between 
Atlantica slash Denmark and the Arctic so quickly. I mean, unless mermaids can swim really, really, really super fast, which I guess is maybe a possibility. I mean, we don't really know what the rules and laws are <laughs> of mermaid physics in this universe. So I guess it is possible that they can swim really fast. In fact, I think that once upon a time, the show, the TV show might have stated that, that they can swim insanely fast. So I guess that is a possibility. But yeah, it seems like she's getting back and forth ridiculously quickly. So Ariel does eventually find Melody because she realizes where she is. And she tries to stop her before she manages to give the trident to Morgana, but she fails. And it's really sad because Ariel is like pleading with her. She's pleading with Melody. She's trying to tell her that you can't trust her. She does not have your best interests at heart. Uh, she is villainous. You know, you can't trust her, but Melody doesn't trust her mother because for her entire life up to this point, her mother has been lying to her. So she does give the trident to Morgana and immediately realizes that her mother had been right. And like I mentioned earlier, Morgana is arguably more evil than Ursula. I mean, she seals Melody behind a wall of ice, basically, and tells her that, oh, just so you know, by the way, that magic is going to wear off eventually and you're going to turn back into a human. So the plan here is to kill her, right? If she seals her behind this wall of ice, then eventually she's going to turn into a human and she's going to drown. And at that point, there was no reason to kill her. She's doing that for no reason. I mean, Ursula just wanted revenge on Triton. I don't think that Ariel was her true target. I mean, at the end, she even agrees to let Ariel go once she has Triton. And the only reason she ends up attacking and becoming that huge sea monster and tries to kill Ariel and Eric is that Ariel retaliated. You know, like they tried to kill her. And again, I don't want to be misunderstood here. I'm not trying to defend Ursula's actions. I'm just saying that I don't think that Ursula was just always planning to kill Ariel. That wasn't the plan. She wanted Triton. And once she had him, I think she was going to let Ariel go. But Morgana's wreaking havoc for no reason, even after she's won. Even after she has the trident and she is now queen of the sea, she's won. She still is wreaking havoc, you know? So I would definitely argue that she's far more evil than Ursula. But like I said, though, I mean, the interesting thing here is that, you know, I'm feeling like, okay, Morgana's more evil than Ursula, yet I'm also saying that she's a little bit more sympathetic, <laughs> which seems like a potential contradiction, but I don't think that it is, because even though Morgana is more evil and more sinister, I still think that her motivations are more understandable. I mean, even after she wins and gets that trident, you know, she's wreaking havoc and we kind of find out why, because she says out loud, see that, Ma? Who's your favorite now? Because she has just become addicted to this idea of needing to outdo Ursula, be more evil than Ursula was, uh, you know, accomplish more than Ursula did. So I still do think that there's a little bit more room for sympathy for her. And at the end, I would even argue that the way that she is defeated is incredibly cruel and barbaric. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that she doesn't deserve it, but sealing her in this block of ice for eternity, which I think is what the case is, because 
Triton even says to her that, you know, you will never go near, you know, the likes of my family again, ever, you know, something to that effect. And we see that after she's frozen into that block of ice and the block of ice is like falling into the ocean, it's going to the bottom of the ocean. We see that she's like completely frozen in that block of ice. Like she can't move, but she does blink her eyes. So the indication there is that she's basically like fully conscious and aware, but you know, unable to move and just, I mean, obviously there's, there's, questions about that like well wouldn't she starve eventually wouldn't she you know I, I don't know how this works like it could be magic triton is magical right so <laughs> if he has the ability to turn people from mermaids into humans and from humans into mermaids then it's very possible that he has the ability to put somebody in this state of perpetual consciousness without you know being able to move or anything and that's just like eternal hell you know, that is, I don't even have a word for how terrible that would be. Like, that's so much worse than death. So I do think that it's incredibly cruel, incredibly barbaric. And it does kind of make me look down on Triton a little bit because good people don't do that. <laughs> I know Morgana deserves it. Again, I'm not saying that she didn't have it coming, but that's not what heroes do. Yeah, I just think that that's incredibly barbaric. and. As that block of ice is falling to the bottom of the ocean with Morgana in it, we see a photo of Ursula kind of following her down with it. And even my friend who watched this movie with me a few days ago said, that's kind of sad. So, I mean, it's not just me. <laughs> Clearly, it's not just me that feels that this is a little bit too harsh. You know, and it is sad because it's kind of symbolic, right? The fact that that photo of Ursula is following her means that, you know, for eternity— She's never going to be able to escape that shadow. So it is pretty sad. Uh, but then, of course, we get our happy ending. You know, we find out that uh, Melody has this idea to take down that barrier and finally allow humans and merfolk to kind of have more communication with each other, you know, be a part of each other's worlds. So it's a very happy ending. And that is The Little Mermaid 2, Return to the Sea. So my rating, like I said, as far as sequels go, it's not bad. You know, Melody's a great character. She's a memorable character. She definitely is very charming. Morgana's a great villain, in my opinion. And, uh, you know, they did such a wonderful job, too, of making this character believably be Ariel's and Eric's daughter, you know? I mean, I would say she looks more like Eric, but she also does have some of Ariel's traits as well, especially her personality and her mannerisms. And like I said, Morgana's a great villain. She's reminiscent enough of Ursula without being a carbon copy of her, and I really appreciate that. With that being said, however, like I said, this does not hold a candle to the first movie. Not even close. And I highly, highly doubt that I am alone in that opinion. I feel like most, if not all, Disney fans probably feel that way. And if you do like this movie better than the first one, I'm not trying to make you feel like that opinion is invalid uh, or that, you know, there's something wrong with you for feeling that way. Not at all. But I just feel like that's probably, for the most part, a universal opinion. Especially since the music is just nowhere near as good. I mean, it's decent, but it's nowhere near as good as the music in the first movie. It doesn't even compare. So I feel like I'd give this 6.5, maybe 7 out of 10. Seven's probably the highest I would go with it. You know... It's a cute movie, it's charming, but 
you know, it just doesn't hold a candle to the first one. And when something is a sequel to something, it's kind of hard to look at it as an isolated movie without comparing it to what came before it. It's very, very hard to do that. So that's what I would settle on. If you would like to be a part of the conversation in the future, maybe you want to talk about your favorite Disney movie. Uh, if it's a movie that I've already covered, that's okay. I'll still include it. If it's a movie that I haven't covered yet, but plan to, then I will save it for when I do cover that movie. If it is something that I haven't covered, but don't plan to <laughs> for one reason or another, that's okay. I will still include your feedback. So whatever it is you want to talk about Disney related, uh, you know, if it's the movie that I'm covering next, that would be awesome. And I'll be announcing that very shortly. Uh, but there are a number of ways that you can reach out to me with feedback. You can email disneyshpodcast at gmail.com. You can join the Facebook group, which is facebook.com slash groups slash disneyshpodcast. You can follow the Instagram page, which is disneyshpodcast. And you can also follow my personal Instagram page, which is The Lost Passenger. Please be sure to subscribe wherever it is that you're listening, whether it be Spotify, Apple Podcasts, etc. That way you'll never miss a new episode. And next up is another one of our favorite Disney characters associated with the sea, Moana. But until then, this has been Disney's reminding you to maybe not lie to your kids their whole lives about who they are and where they come from. Might not be a good idea. Yeah.